So let's uh, jump into it. Um, last week, uh, we said that uh, we were talking kind of about physical health checkups, and we said that, you know, that we're encouraged to have routine health checkups uh, for our bodies and for um, our physical well-being. And, um, you know, those health checkups uh, tend to um, help prevent uh, illness um, because it's far easier to prevent it than to treat it. And so in that same vein, uh, we see that as we're coming to the end of this first letter written to uh, the church in Thessalonica from Pastor Paul and his ministry team, um, there's some final words that are being given to the church. And we kind of put them under the big bucket of like, what is a healthy church? Because uh, that's kind of why he's closing out this, this letter. Is he's saying, listen, these are some marks. These are some things that should be present uh, for the health of the church. And these are things that, uh, that you need to um, strive after and grow in and engage with. And so we want to look at these and sort of apply them to our own church here at City on a Hill in this context and realize that we are just like them in desperate need of the living hope of Jesus Christ. Uh, they were living in chaotic times. We are living in chaotic times. Uh, they were living in the last days. We are living in the last days. And so we want to engage with all that God has for us here within the family of God, within the context of the local church. And so there are some marks that we see at the end of this passage that we are asking, is this true of us? Are we engaged in this? Is this, is this a mark that would be true of City on a Hill? And so um, we want to look at that and ask that question and engage with that together. And so we're going to continue in verse 19 and just finish out the letter. If you have your copy of scripture, you can follow along as I read. I want to read the passage and then we're going to walk our way through it as we do each week. It says this in verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Here is the big idea. It is we are in the Healthy Church Part 2, just continuing on from last week. So the big idea is the same as last week, and it is this. A healthy church is where our living hope in Christ thrives. A healthy church is where our living hope in Christ thrives. It is God's gift to us, the church, the local church, the community of believers. That is what the church is. The church is not a building. The church is not an organization. The church is not just some sort of temporary thing. It is established by God. It is universal and eternal. It, over, it, is, it is beyond just these walls and what's happening here. There is the, the universal church is all the believers of all time. But what we're talking about here today is the local church, when we say that, the local church is the gathered assembly of believers in one place uh, together. And so this community, this family, this body, and we are part of the bigger uh, universal uh, church. And so what we're talking about is there in the local churches where our living hope in Christ thrives. And so we said last week we had uh, three marks that we looked at. 
And this morning, we're continuing on with a couple of more marks of what the healthy local church looks like. And so if you missed those last week, you can go grab those on our podcast or on YouTube or website, uh, on the app. There's lots of places. There's tons of places to get online uh, sermons these days. No shortage of that. So go grab that. But we're going to jump in, and you're, um, you're fine. You're going to be able to uh, pick it right up uh, with us as we um, continue here. So here's what we're going to look at. I want to put, um, there's kind of several marks that we're looking at, but I want to put them in two big buckets this morning. Okay, so these are things that should be true of us if we are a healthy church where living hope of Christ thrives. Here's the first one. Let me give it to you and I'll show it to you in the scriptures. It's this. We are a healthy church when we respond to the spirit fully, when we are responding to the spirit fully. The instruction here is given in verse 19. It says, do not quench the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. You see, I think it's helpful to understand kind of the structure, the form that that, uh, Paul is using here in these verses. He's kind of giving one big command, but he's doing so with a couple negative commands and a few positive commands. You see first the negative, right? He says, do not quench the spirit, followed by another negative command, another do not, do not despise prophecies. And so you have sort of the general, uh, the, the, the big overarching kind of general instruction is do not quench the spirit. Specifically, one of the ways that you do that is you do not despise prophecies. So that's kind of the, the, the general down to the specific. And then he does the same thing in the positive. He says, but test everything. So that's kind of the general instruction, test everything. And then more specifically, when you test everything, Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. And so these negatives, the positives, the specific, the general, they're all related. They're all connected. They're all part of this idea of what it looks like to respond to the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, fully. And uh, as we look at that, I think it's helpful to look first at that negative command and the general, because this is sort of setting the stage for this instruction. He says there, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Now, generally, the way that we do this, let's be clear about this, you and I, when we quench the Spirit, what we're doing is we are cutting the Spirit's work off in our life. And uh, we do this through a hardening of our heart toward God. Uh, Most commonly, the way that we harden our heart toward God is we uh, engage willfully, ongoing, unrepentantly in sin and wrongdoing. And so uh, maybe um, we're not just talking about major sins. This is be little things. This would be attitudes. This would be thoughts. This would be patterns. But as we engage in sinful actions, as we engage in wrongdoing and do so in an ongoing manner, what we're doing is we are hardening ourselves to the work of the Spirit. And that hardened heart is unable to receive and to hear and to get the ministry that we require, that we need so desperately in our life from the Spirit. We're cutting ourselves off to that. If you've ever worked with your hands, I think a really good illustration or understanding is when we're quenching the Spirit. Um, if, if you've worked with your hands outside, maybe, um, maybe that happened this weekend. It was beautiful. Um, there's a lot to be done, right, in Wisconsin when spring rolls around. And so you, you pick up that rake, you pick up the shovel, and you haven't done that in a while. And what happens, right, you get blisters. Why? Because your hands are soft 
and they're, uh, they're malleable, they're, um, they're, they're sensitive toward, uh, toward those things. But over time, you develop calluses, and you're hardened toward those. It doesn't, it doesn't affect you quite as much. And so in that sense, calluses are great uh, on your hands when we're talking about yard work, on your heart when we're talking about the influence of the Holy Spirit and his working in our lives, calluses, a hardening is not. That's not a great place. We want to remain soft. We want to remain sensitive. We want to remain listening to the Spirit. And so it is the Holy Spirit. It is God's work through his Spirit in our life that brings to bear uh, God's instruction for us. It's that sensitivity to hear and to know where it is that he's leading And so if you've ever found yourself far from the Lord, and you're like, how did I get here? How did I get so far away from the Lord? I'll tell you where it began. It began with a quenching of the Spirit. It began with the cutting off, a hardening. Sometimes that happens with just small choices, little things that you let slide, little things that you do, little things that you uh, are okay with. And then over time, you become more and more hardened, more and more hardened, and you find yourself moving further and further away from the truth of God's word. This is how we quench the spirit in our life. And so the warning here, again, it's easier to prevent an illness rather than treat one. He's giving this instruction and saying, hey, don't quench the spirit. Remain sensitive. Listen. Remain open to what God is teaching you in your life. How do you do that? Well, that's what he unpacks specifically for the Thessalonians. This is one of the ways he does this. And so we need to be careful about this, that we don't do this, that we don't cut off the Spirit's leading. And the picture is of quenching. And we know this word quenching. We, um, it's very vivid, uh, kind of physical picture for us. Um, if, if you've ever been camping, um, you know what has to happen at the end, right, of the camping trip. I don't know about you, but uh, my family, whenever we went camping growing up, we would always leave that fire burning as long as we could, right? And so we'd try and, if we, especially if we bought firewood, you know, oftentimes we were too cheap for that, so we'd bring it. Um, you, you know that when you're kind of loading up firewood from home, you're going to the woods, but you, you know, you can't maybe find the fire, you're not allowed to pick it up, so you got to go buy it. And so if you, if you have a stash of firewood, you're like, well, we got to use this up. We're going to make this roaring fire. And so we would get it burning, but inevitably, uh, we would never time out. Out, the, the fire kind of coming to an end while we are, have the car packed up and ready to go. And so what happens? You got to go get some buckets of water and you pour it on the fire. You quench it. You put it out. And the flames and the embers and all the benefits of the warmth and the light and the heat that you were getting from this fire are extinguished in that. The fire is no longer having impact on uh, the campsite, Right? And you've pulled up, I'm sure, to the sad campsite when you first get there, and somebody right before you did that, and the fire pit is soaked, and all the wood is wet, and you're like, man, it would have been cool if we could have timed this out, and we just got here when the fire was already going, because it's hard to get that going again, right? And so here's, the, uh, here's what this picture is for us. He says, listen, don't quench the spirit. Don't harden your heart toward the Spirit. Don't pour water on the fire of the Spirit's working in your life. You need it. We desperately need it. And understanding this is where we begin. The relational term that Paul uses in one of his other letters is grieving. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. When we quench the Holy Spirit, when we cut ourselves off from the Spirit, we are grieving the Spirit of God. That's what it looks like relationally. 
And so specifically for this church here, the instruction is how do you not quench the spirit? Well, specifically, don't despise prophecies. Don't despise prophecies. And we don't have the circumstances around what this was given, so we don't know what prophecies were being given and how they were being treated and despised. But what we do know is this. We know that God works through prophecies of his people to bring to bear his instruction for the church. Now, let's be clear what we're saying when we're saying prophecies, okay? Some of you are already a little nervous. You're like, wait a second, what do we mean by prophecies? What is that? Well, it says we're not to despise prophecies, so let's be careful there, okay? So there's a difference between uh, capital P prophets, the people that God used as his mouthpiece throughout history, throughout the Old Testament, as the New Testament was being penned, there were prophets, capital P, and then there's prophecies, And I think that's what the distinction that we have to understand and recognize. You see, prophets, specifically when we're talking about the Old Testament prophets, they were so clearly chosen for God, and they were God's mouthpiece to mankind, specifically to his people, to the children of Israel, to his nation. And we have, um, we see them throughout, um, we have several books of the prophets, their writings, but we see prophets throughout the Old Testament. And they weren't just um, predicting the future so much. Sometimes I think we think of that, like prophets are telling us what's yet to come or, or going to come. They weren't just about that. They weren't only expounding and explaining the times, but rather prophets were speaking for God. And so we see this certainly in the Old Testament. And then we see that this happened as the New Testament was being penned. Even Paul, in writing this This letter to the church in Thessalonica, he was a prophet for God. He was speaking for God. It was God's word. He was, as it says in 1 Peter, he was being carried along by the Spirit, and he was writing God's words to the church, and so he was a prophet for God. And we see this distinction. We actually read from the passage in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, but but he uh, kind of distinguishes these prophets and apostles and they're, they're sort of separated. They're kind of pulled out from the others. And we see that the, the church in Ephesians 2.20 was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. We read that earlier in our, our or we heard that rather earlier in our service. Ephesians 3.5, it says, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And so prophets were giving new, complete, full revelation from God. And we believe this about the word of God is that it is complete. There is not any new revelation. There is no new scripture which is being written or given today. I believe that the words of revelation apply not only to that book, but also speak over the entire uh, collection of scriptures, the entire book of the Bible, if you will. And it says that these words are not to be added to. And that there's nothing to be taken away, but it is full, it is complete. And so this is what we believe here at City on a Hill. This is the full and complete and inspired word of God. And so this is what we have. We have everything we need for life and godliness right here. So then what, what is Paul talking about in this passage when he says, do not despise prophecies? Well, prophecies, as we understand it today, and as it was happening there in the church, Paul was giving this this prophetic instruction to the church, but then the prophecies of his people were spirit-led, gospel-saturated, scripture-informed instruction to the church. 
And so the prophecies of God's people are not adding new revelation, but rather helping to apply and to expound and to explain the revelation that had already occurred. And so that's what he's talking about here. Spirit-led, gospel-saturated communication into each other's lives. So when we're talking about that, what we're talking about is Bible's open, mind's discerning. We're not just kind of Bible's closed, like what else do you got for me? What, what's new? What does God have? But rather, no, what does God say in his word and how does that impact and, and, and what does that mean for my life today and how do I actually live this out? That is what these prophecies were. And so today, we have prophecies uh, being spoken and given in our church all the time. We don't often kind of frame it this way, but this is what they are. And so this happens in the conversations that take place in the lobby. This happens through phone calls and text messages. This happens over coffee. This happens at small group. This happens over dinners. This happens at play dates at the park. This happens for walks. This happens under Bible studies and our classes. This happens in relationship together. We are giving instruction from God's word to God's people being led by the spirit in a special way. And so we believe that God's spirit is still working among us, that he is still here. And even though we're not having new revelation of scripture being written, that he is active and living and he's alive and he's taking it and he's applying it to our lives today. That is so important that we recognize that. That this is not just some sort of dead book that is uh, just, you know, kind of contained here in these pages, but rather he is using it to bring impact and influence to our lives. And so when we give prophecy, when we're engaging in this with one another, what we're doing is oftentimes we're explaining the word of God, we're applying the word of God, and we're helping to illuminate God's word, God's will through his word in specific situations in our lives. And so in doing this, again, the negative command is do not despise prophecies, then how are we to discern them well, right? Because we want to participate in the Spirit's work fully, but we want to do so and make sure it's of the Spirit. And that's why he says in verse 21, he says, but test everything, test everything. And so when we talk about prophecies, we want to do so with discernment. Discernment is needed. And so how do we do this? How do we test the instruction, because you've probably had that happen, right? Hey, I, you know, I want to tell you something that I feel like the Lord kind of pressed on my heart for you. If you've ever had that conversation, how do you interpret that? How do you know? Is that really from the Lord? Has the Lord told you? What, what's, what kind of standard do you give with that? Or sometimes it doesn't even happen with that bracket. It's more of, um, you know, as we're just talking, like, hey, I think the Lord would really have you do this, or I think, I think God's word applies in this way, or this. How do we know if that's from the Lord? Well, let me give you five things. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to jot these down. These are not original to me. Um, I've kind of pieced them together from some commentaries and from some other pastors, but I found these extremely helpful in knowing what to look for and how to test the instruction from others in our life. The first is, ask the question of, does it align with Scripture? Sorry, I don't have it on the screen. I just saw a bunch of eyes like snap up there waiting for the... Uh, I, did, I, didn't, I didn't put it on there. Um, so the first is, does it align with Scripture? I promise it's simple. So does it align with Scripture? Does it, does it contradict God's word? Because if someone ever comes to you and says, hey, I've got a word from the Lord for you. I've got something that, that God has pressed upon me or that I've been thinking about for you, and it contradicts God's word, I promise you this, it is not from God. He will never go against, he will never contradict his written word. 
Does it align with scripture? The second uh, kind of thing that you should look for is does it exalt Jesus Christ? Does it make much of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Because any prophecy from the Lord, any instruction from the Lord will. The Spirit's job is to exalt and to lift up the Son. This is what we have done this morning together in worship. We have lifted high the name of Jesus Christ, and the Spirit is always making much of Jesus Christ. And so anything, any instruction that comes from the Lord will make much of Jesus Christ. Does it exalt Jesus? Number three, does it, is it empowered by the gospel? Is it empowered by the gospel? Does it require you to try harder or does it require you to trust in the gospel more fully? Because if it doesn't point back to the accomplished and the finished work of Jesus Christ, then it might not be from the Lord. Because the gospel is not the beginning. It is the uh, beginning through the end. It is all that God is using to work out in our life, the accomplished and finished work of Jesus Christ in our life. And so everything that we are called to do is empowered by the gospel of Jesus and what he has done on the cross. Number four, you can ask this, is it given by a credible source? Is it given by a credible source? Now, what do we mean by that is God has given us some marks by which we would know uh, if the person that we're hearing this from is a believer, a follower of Jesus, is there fruit in their life? Is there maturity? Do you see the Spirit's work in their life? Because if they're coming to you, and this is just someone off the street or someone that you don't see the evidence of God's work in their life, well, they might not be listening to God in that moment. And so is it coming from a credible source? And number five, does it build up the church? Does it build up the church? Again, the instructions that Paul is giving here, the instructions that we see throughout Scripture were given for the building up, the equipping, the maturing of God's believers there in the local community of the church. And so does this build up the church or does it take away, does it detract, does it take away from what God is doing through the church? These are things to look for. And so when we say, when we come to this and it says, hey, but test everything, this is how we test it. We ask these questions and kind of put it through this filter. And some of you have already done this. Maybe you didn't even know that you were doing it. Or others of you have a list that's similar or whatever. This is, again, it's kind of pieced together from some commentaries, from some other verses, from pastors. But I think these are helpful, a helpful filter to run through the things that people are saying to us and knowing, is this from the Lord? And after we test it, the response is clear. See how he finishes verse 21. He says, hold fast to what is good. Right? So hang on to, apply, listen, respond to those things that are good, and abstain from every form of evil. If it's not good, if it's evil, if it's taking away from the ministry of the Holy Spirit, if it's uh, not exalting Jesus Christ, if it's not building up of the church, then run from it, abstain from it, don't think about it, don't do anything with it. Put it off, put it aside. So hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. This is how we respond to the Spirit fully within the church. And listen, church, we need this in our lives. We need this in our lives. This prophecy that we're talking about, again, some of us are uncomfortable with that word prophecy, but that's the word that Scripture is using, so I'm going to go ahead and use it freely. As we are Spirit-led, speaking into each other's lives, using the Word of God, helping to apply it to specific situations, specific circumstances, and explaining what it means, what it, how, what it doesn't mean, and doing that, we need to engage in this as the church. 
And so in order for, to do this, a couple things have to be tr true. One, we have to be in relationship and in community with, with each other. If we're not seeing each other, if we're not talking to each other, if we're not um, engaged with one another, that's really, really difficult to do. And I recognize as I say this that we are coming through and still in a year of tremendous difficulty in this regard. I mean, some of you are joining from online, and so I know the challenges that this has presented is how are we doing this in this place? I'm gonna talk about masks again later in the service some of you are probably guessing that because it says greet the brothers with the holy kiss. How do we do that, right? That's coming, okay? So I don't want to steal that. But masks and distancing and uh, quarantining and isolation and all of this has made it very difficult to engage. And so listen, church, that instruction for us does not go on hold. We need to find ways to engage together and to be doing this together. These prophecies are coming from one another into each other's lives regarding specific circumstances, and so it is so important that we are doing this. Another thing that it requires, it requires that we know our word, that we know, uh, when I say our word, the word of God, the word that has been given to us by God for the church. It is really hard to give spirit-led, gospel-saturated, like biblical advice into each other's life if we don't know and understand this book. We have to be people of the book. We have to be people that are searching it constantly, studying it diligently, reading it, saturated with it. This isn't just a checklist kind of thing. Listen, we live in desperate times. We live in a chaotic world. We need the word of God in our lives. And so, so desperately, we need to be engaged in this. It isn't only for you. When you are engaging in the word of God, you are doing so for, uh, certainly for your own soul and your own heart, but you are also doing so for the good of those around you, for your family, for your church, for your brothers and your sisters in Jesus Christ. We need to be engaged in this. This is how the church of God grows up. This is how we are built up. We are established on the foundation of Jesus Christ and we are built up through the maturing of one another and engaging in God's instruction and God's word for us today. And so we want to do this. We want to um, fully participate, right? Fully respond to the Spirit's working in our life. Here's the second mark of a healthy church. And again, this is kind of the bucket and then we've got sort of five parts within it. So here's the bucket that we see is this. We engage with the community faithfully. Along these same lines of what we just were seeing and saying is that we engage with the community faithfully, and specifically the community of the church, all right? Not just like any community, we're talking here about the community of the church. Look at verse 23. He says this, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What we see here at the end is Paul modeling and calling the church toward this uncommon community of the local church. And I think there's sort of five, um, five components to this community, okay? So the first is blessing. The first is blessing. We see Paul modeling and giving this blessing toward the church. Verse 23, this is often referred to as a benediction or a blessing. It's a prayer 
uh, and a call for God to work sort of spoken to and spoken over the church there. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Paul is, is declaring this, he's praying this, he's saying this to and over the church. He wants to see God's peace saturate and fill the church. He wants to see him himself, right? God himself sanctify the church, building them up, uh, calling them, drawing them toward holiness and purity in every way. Why? So that the whole spirit, soul, body would be kept blameless for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are looking forward expectantly to God's return through his son, Jesus Christ. And the way, the manner in which they're waiting is to do so in holiness and sanctification and blamelessness, walking in this together. And he says this, he says, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. And so listen, this is one of the components of the community of the church, is this, this element of blessing. And I, I think this is worth sort of pointing out this morning, because I wonder, do we recognize the value that this has for the church today, that we can engage and we can do this uh, together? You know, oftentimes I think of, we think of benedictions as super formal, you know? Um, I think that's kind of how they began, right? We see a lot of benedictions in the Old Testament. They happen usually around the formal gathering of worship there at the temple and the priest or the prophets. They would kind of speak this, uh, this benediction, this prayer over the people. Um, many times it's not uncommon for us to close our services, right, with a prayer or a benediction. I'll often use the, the final words in the letter of Jude, um, or sometimes there's that prayer in Ephesians. Those are my two kind of go-to uh, benedictions for our church here, but the Bible is full of many of them. There's many that we could look at this morning, and so we're not going to take the time to do that so much, although that would be a great study for you, okay? So if you want like some follow-up homework, go ahead and do that, but I did want to look at one Numbers 6, 22 through 27. I'm just going to read it. You can jot down that reference. It says this, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus shall you bless the people of Israel, and you shall say to them. And so the Lord gave to Moses and to Aaron this blessing to speak over and to give to the people. And here was the blessing that he gave. He says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. That's what the Lord said. And so this blessing was to be given for the people and it was to uh, speak of and, and point to the hope that is found in God himself. And so what Paul is doing here for the church is he is modeling, he is giving a blessing, but I think in doing so, he's also modeling what it looks like to give blessing toward one another. Listen, moms, one of the greatest things that you can give to your children is to give them prayers of blessing, statements of blessing, to speak the truth of God over them. As they are heading out for the day, as they are growing up and, and in their youth, that you would speak of what you would see and what you would pray that God would do in their lives. That's an amazing thing that parents have to be able to do for their children. But it's not just for parents to kids. This, is, this happens in our community together. So this can happen um, in the interactions that we have. This certainly can happen at small groups. This can happen through those, again, text messages, phone calls, conversations, all of that. We can be speaking blessing into each other's life. Well, how do we do that? Well, I think Paul models it really well here. 
It's what we would see and desire for God to do in their life that we already see him doing and maybe we want to see it do it further. We're confirming the work that God is doing, but it's tied to a couple things. Notice verse 24. I think this is so good. It's tied to God's calling and to his character. He ties this blessing to God's calling and to his character. He says, he who calls you is faithful. He reminds the church that it was God who called them to himself. And so I think as we speak blessing into each other that we can do this with each other, we can remind that, hey, you've been called by God. God is the one who chose you. And if he chose you, he's going to sanctify you because he's justified you. And he's going to do that all the way to the end, right? Are there some verses that are coming to your mind? There should be. I'm kind of saying it in a, a nebulous way so that you can think of it. There's a few verses that I can think of that are so clear in that, right? There's some promises that he has for us in that. And so to go back to this calling and saying, listen, your, this, this blessing over you is directly tied to God's calling on your life. The second thing is it's rooted and, and held up by his character. It's not reliant on you. Notice that, what Paul is saying here, with the God of peace himself sanctify you. It's not on you for, to find the God of peace and for you to get yourself right and to be sanctified. Rather, he will surely do it. He who calls you is faithful, and so his, his character is faithfulness. And if he said he's going to do it, if he's called you, he's going to do it. It's rooted in the character of God. And so as we bless one another, would we point to this call and this character of God? Let's take advantage of this opportunity we have in community together. The second component of this community that we see is right there, very simply in verse 25. It's prayer. He says to the church, he says, brothers, pray for us. And we've said it by now, hopefully you understand the language using brothers is not leaving the sisters out, okay? They would have read that and heard brothers and sisters. It's just how they communicated. We're using the ESV. It translates it super literally. So hopefully you understand brothers, sisters, hey, church, family, pray for us. I love the simplicity of that. Pray for us. Would we have the courage and the intentionality to ask for prayer in the way that Paul does? He knew and understood the mission that he was called to, and he knew it wasn't going to happen apart from the prayers of God's people. And so he was good uh, and diligent, intentional about asking for that prayer. And so would we do the same? Would we ask for the prayer of God's people for the situations and things in our life. Some of the things that you are carrying, I just want to tell you, you do not have to carry those on your own. Share those. Each and every week we say this, hey, share a prayer request with us. We do that because we intentionally, we spend like the first part of our week together as a staff. We sit down in that church office over there and we pray over every request that comes in. We want to pray together. We have a prayer team that prays over those things. Our elders, our, their wives pray over those. I mean, we have people praying over those things. That is just one way. Would we be intentional in sharing the things that we are walking through and asking for prayer? But on the other side of it, would we not just ask for prayer, but would we pray for one another? And I would just ask this, what is your method of praying for the community of God? Do you have some systems and some structure in place? Uh, at the risk of repeating myself, but I think there's plenty of you that are like new and maybe have never heard me say this before. One of the things that we like to do here at City on a Hill is we don't tell people we're going to pray for them. We pray for them right there on the spot. 
And so just know that if you're like, hey, would you pray for this? Be like, sure, let's do it right now. A couple things that I love about that. One <laughs> is um, I'm just all about like efficiency and kind of getting things done. And so like kind of the pragmatic side of me, like it's not a task for later. Like I've already got that done. Like I prayed for them, okay? So I'm already on the way to that. Now that doesn't have to stop there, but it's like it gets it done right then and there. But the other thing is they have the benefit the blessing of hearing that prayer spoken and to know for certain that, that there is someone praying for me in that. And so let's not miss out on those opportunities. Every so often, I'm just going to continue to like kind of serve this back up, you know, kind of like put this back on the table and just say, listen, church, this is how we do it here. This is the way our church family prays for each other. We don't tell someone we're going to pray. We pray for them right then and there. Usually, whenever I say this, after the service, you'll see pockets of people praying all over the lobby, outside, in the parking lot. I love it because that's what we should be doing. So let's do that today. Let's pray for one another in that way. Outside of praying on the spot, do you have some intentional ways of kind of tracking the people that you're praying for? I've said this before as well. I don't have a ton of new methods. I'm still doing my same old methods, but I love to pray in concentric circles. When I pray, I start with my own soul, my own heart, praying the gospel over um, myself and my need for Jesus and his work in my life. That's where I begin, but then I go out from there and I pray for my wife, I pray for my kids, I pray for my family, I pray for the leaders, the elders of this church, the, the, the community of God here, I pray for my friends. I pray for other ministry partners that are further out. I sort of move out in concentric circles praying for these. I don't do it necessarily all the time, every single day. Some days I'll focus more on one than the other. There's actually an app that I love. It's PrayerMate um, is, is what I've used. If you're like into the, like, you just want to get like nerd out for a second, you can actually use an app um, to help you pray. I know it's kind of crazy, but you know what? I think if Paul was here, he would totally geek out on that app. I really do. I think he would. And so there are some intentional ways. And maybe you're not, you're like, an app. I can't ever pray with an app. I get that. That's fine. Like, write it down, old school style, on a piece of paper, with pen. Um, but have some way that you're kind of tracking and looking and following along with what God is doing. You know, one of the awesome things that we had happen yesterday during our food box giveaway, as we're praying for people, we had someone say, hey, I came here last time. Someone prayed for me. And let me just share how God answered that prayer. How awesome is that? Specifically, they saw the work of, God's, of God through the prayers of his people right there. It was so cool. I love that. See, God is hearing our prayers. He's working through it. Many of you were here with us on Thursday morning. We're doing this together every Thursday morning this month, the month of May, 7 to 8, right here in this room. We're just praying together. We're going to do it in a variety of ways. My challenge to you last week still stands. Come to one of them. If you're online and you can't join us, absolutely can't get here for one of them, talk to me, reach out, we'll figure out a way, we'll do a virtual one, we'll do something. But I would love for all of us to engage in prayer together in this month. That would be something that we want to continue to do together. Prayer is part of the community of God together. The third component that we see is affection. Affection. That's what Paul's getting at here in verse 26, which sounds a little odd, a little weird, especially in 2021, coming out of 2020, right? Greet the brothers with a holy kiss. No thank you, right? I wasn't doing it before. I'm certainly not doing it now. I've got a mask. You can't even see my cheeks. I can't see your lips. We got nothing. There's no way this is happening. 
All right, so yeah, this kind of sounds a little odd on our ears today. It wouldn't, wouldn't have for them. This was a common way to greet one another. What he is saying there is, hey, show brotherly affection, show sisterly affection for one another. Treat each other as family. This is how you would greet family. You would go up, you'd give a little peck on the cheek, and that's how you would greet them. It's like our handshake today, which is also kind of in time out. And so I cannot wait. Actually, my wife leaned over to me today. She's like, I can't wait till we bring back sort of the greeting. Now, some of you, You've been coming to our church for a year, and you don't even know that we used to do this. We didn't do it every single week, but one of our favorite things to do during the service, we would actually take a moment and say, hey, why don't you shake someone's hand, say hello to someone, give them a high five, give them a hug, let them know you're happy to see them. We did this like quite often, and some of you introverts are like still like praising the Lord because... That went away. You're like, that was the best part of COVID. It's like we didn't have the awkward sort of greet each other moments at church. We'd like to think that we did it in kind of a, you know, a little more casual way. It didn't go on for 10 minutes. We were, I'm not trying to slam any churches that do it that way, but it was, it was just brief. It was, you know, it just gave you a chance to say hello and kind of greet and interact together. We loved it. We didn't do it every week, but we did it often. I miss that. Why? Well, because it was a chance we had to show affection for one another. Some of you have no idea because you've only been wearing a mask around me. I love to give hugs. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a hugger, all right? I, I realized that later in life. I didn't grow up doing that. I love to give hugs. I love to shake hands. I love to give high fives. I love to pat on the shoulder. Do, like, I love to, like, to show that affection in a good way. And the church is called to do that. And so let's get creative in how we're showing affection. Like you can, you know, smile with your eyes. We're all really good at doing that now. We're kind of like, you can show that you're smiling. I love that you can't, like, I've been in meetings, and I'm sure some of you have already done that today. Like you go to yawn, and you're like, you know, like you, can, you can like kind of, that top half, you can keep those eyes stable, and you, can, you can't always see that. But let's show affection in the ways that we can. You know, really happy hands, waving at each other, the elbow thing. I'm so over that. Like, I just want to shake hands. And so um, some of you, you've shaken my hand, and you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. It's like, it's okay. No apologies needed. That's what hand sanitizer is for. We are here for it. We are going to continue to engage and show affection. And hopefully soon, we can do that in the ways that we always have, Okay. I really hope that we can, but let's, not just physical affection, but just the way that we interact, that care, that concern for one another. So here's my fear for the mask, is not just that it stopped this physical kind of display of affection, but that it really does, it sort of kind of puts us in this isolation, like we feel kind of cut off and sort of separated from one another. Let's make sure that we're leaning into that, that we are still engaging and showing affection, caring for one another in that together. The fourth component of this community is scripture. He says, I put you under oath. So strong words, right? You're reading this as a leader. You're like, okay, get it, Paul. We'll do it. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. See, the instruction was, hey, everyone in the church needs to hear this. And I love, like, so the way that the churches would do it is they would actually exchange letters. So I'm sure at some point this letter made it to Philippi and they copied it and they got to see it. And then Philippi's letter from Paul got copied and they got to see it. And they were passing and exchanging these letters around and they were reading it together as they would assemble. Why? Because this was God's instruction to them. 
Paul recognized and realized? Did he know he was writing scripture at the time? I don't know if he had every comprehension, but I'm sure this, I'm sure he felt like there was something kind of guiding and propelling this as he was writing it. And he knew that the church, the whole church needed to do this and read this. Listen, there is a reason why we arranged this room. I don't know if you ever thought about it. The room is arranged in a certain way. We have right here in the centerpiece this, not me, this, okay? I'm interchangeable. There's other, uh, there's other men that have gotten up here and preached God's word. Uh, this summer, I'm actually going to take a little bit of a preaching break, and there's going to be more men that are going to come up and preach this word. I'm so excited because these last two years, man, we have had some crazy times. So I've preached a little bit more than I usually like to. Someone asked me the other day, they're like, does anyone else ever preach? I'm like, yeah, and we need to do more of that, okay? But here's the thing is it's not about me. It's about this. It's, it doesn't matter. There's Across our city, there are Bibles open and people behind them preaching, but this is the same. It's the same word of God. We want to hold up and be centered on scripture. This is what our community is founded on and based on. And so it all comes back to this. He says, read this letter with all the brothers. And here's the fifth component. It's grace. It's grace. Paul closes his letter this way. He says, the grace of our Lord and Jesus Christ be with you. If you remember all the way back to the first week, we talked about the way that Paul opened his letter. He says, the grace to you and peace. This is a common way that Paul would open and close his letters. He would open them with grace to you. And then when he was all done, he would say, grace with you. Why? He recognized that even in the giving of this truth, this gospel-saturated, Christ-exalting truth pointing to the living hope of Jesus Christ, he knew that the grace of God had already come. The grace of God was with the people through this word. And so would our community be founded in this grace, rooted in gospel truth with gospel reminders? Listen, if it's not already clear, the church is a group of people that are in need of a savior. We are all separated from Jesus Christ. And the reason that any of us is here is because of the work of Jesus Christ in our hearts, in our lives. He's redeemed and made us new through his accomplished and finished work on the cross. This is the grace of God for us. And would our community be saturated in that? I have grown increasingly confident of this, that God is going to work through the community of the church here in this city as we engage in these things. These aren't all the things that the church engages in, but these are components that have to be present. Would we be consistent and faithful and diligent in engaging in these things together? This is what the community of God has been called to. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, so much that is here for us, so much more that could be said and studied each and every week. And so God, we want to respond fully to it, or we want to see your spirit apply it, expand it, expound it in our life, God. And so we just ask that you would do that even now, as we've heard from you, as we've heard your word. God, would we be quick to apply it and engage with it? Thank you again for the gift that is the local church, this family of believers together. So God, I pray that you will continue to equip and to grow us and to raise us up to be more and more like the church that you have called us to do. God, keep us healthy, protect us. Lord, help us to grow in these truths. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen.